Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. This week, we're advocating. Or rather, we're talking about the complex territory that comes with advocating for a game, as we are game journalists. Capital G, capital J. So Rob, I don't know if you had anything specific for this, but I definitely uh, have been feeling this one quite a bit this week uh, because I'm about to be sort of advocating for a game that I really, really think is special. I really, really like it. Uh, It's a game called Even the Ocean, uh, which will be out on the 16th, I believe. And it is by the same folks as by Analgesic Studios, which are the same folks who made Anodyne about three years ago, which was a game I adored and loved and still don't shut up about, even though it was three years ago. I thought it was one of the best games of the year, even though uh, that it, it had started as a student project, and that's still crazy to me years later. Uh, and, and here we have Even the Ocean, which is a beautiful, beautiful game. It's a platformer with some sort of unique mechanics and beautiful art and a beautiful story and amazing music. And I'm kind of head over heels for it, but I'm also sort of feeling that pull of like, oh God, I, you know, at what point do I stop being somebody who's just like a fan of a game who's just sort of like advocating for people to play this? And and at what point does it, does it like not smell right if a game journalist is like, you know, sort of <laughs> like heaping on all this praise uh, to, to any one game? Yeah, that touches on so many of so many facets of our jobs, but also yeah. <laughs> like the reasons we do them. Um, yeah, that is that is challenging territory, and there, there's a lot to take in there. But let's uh, let's let's back the train up a little bit. Yeah. Um, before we discuss the the nature of your of your advocacy, uh, <laughs> let's talk about the thing you're advocating uh, a little bit. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about like good. why you loved Anodyne. And then uh, what uh, even the ocean is is doing that that really has caught your attention? For sure. So Anodyne, twenty thirteen game. It was basically in terms of style, it was very much a Zelda Link's Awakening, which was the sort of original Game Boy uh, game, uh, Game Boy Zelda, basically. Uh, you know, sort of before the modern era when there were many more Game Boy Zeldas. Uh, it was like the Game Boy Zelda in 1993, which was a sort of lighter, it was a good 2D Zelda game, a great 2D Zelda game from a lot of people's points of view, but with a much lighter tone. Uh, it had sort of some fun- funky stuff. There was some kind of jokey and fun stuff in that game. Uh, and so it was very much in that style, much more sort of puzzle adventure than than combat heavy, that sort of thing. Uh, and so was Anodyne. Uh, But Anodyne took place in this sort of bizarro semi-video game commentary world, and it had all this sort of interesting stuff, interesting stuff to kind of munch on. It was very much about, you know, if you're talking about like sort of the bigger picture of what the game was about, it was about not getting too caught up in games as sort of a an analgesic that's they even named their their studio after this like an analgesic for the pain of life basically like escapism in games is great but don't go too hard because you could turn into a shithead that was kind of the general gist of the game which I dug I thought that was pretty cool and it was done in some really fun and interesting ways there's a little bit of satire in there but it was much more it was a much more pointed uh emotionally speaking sort of experience and it just it really resonated for me because it was like, wow, this is not only a really, really awesome Zelda style game, and I like those kinds of games, but it also kind of has a point, and I like it, and I like the approach, and I like the tone, and and I just really like what they're doing here with this. Uh, so that was sort of why I like that so much. How does how does a Zelda style game bring out those kinds of discussions? 
Well, it was very much in, you know, sort of your discussions with the characters, things like that. There's a lot of dialogue. There was an entire section of this game that was based on sort of this black and white, really, really horrifying vision of suburbia. And uh, there was, you know, somebody was on the loose, was a killer. And it was like somebody who, who you know, took games too seriously or something like that. It, it was all a little bit in the background, but it was very much sort of what was going on in that zone. And there were other parts the very ending boss, there's there's sort of a room before the ending boss that kind of says, like, you should really get outside. You should really <laughs> you should really do other things with your life sometimes, man. And it was done in this kind of lighthearted way, but it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong, game. Thanks. <laughs> uh, which which I always I thought was kind of cool. And it, and it's of course also just really, really beautiful, sort of surreal landscapes, which are always going to be something I love in kind of any style of game, but especially in a Zelda style game. Uh, where things tend to be, you know, sort of light fantasy, but but very much, other than Majora's Mask and maybe some Wind Waker, they're very much sort of planted in fantasy tropes. So this game was much more like, here's a weird kind of computer city with cube people. Here's a bizarro Mario Brothers kind of place. It just went to all these weirdo places that I really liked. Um, so even the ocean is doing a lot of the same things, although I think the writing is much more mature I think the the actual story is is a much bigger focus here, and I, I really do like that. But this is doing a lot of the same things for a platformer, you know, 2D platformer. Um, mechanically speaking, uh, you can even choose not to play the platformer segments, which I don't know why you would do that, but it, just in case you only want to play the story, uh, you can do that. But uh, you really are sort of this person whose name is Alif, and it's, uh, they're sort of a non-binary character, and it's her first day on the job as a sort of technician for this energy plant. Of course, things go horribly wrong, and there's two kinds of energy in the world, and that goes into the platforming. So you sort of have to balance the energy in your system. One type of energy makes you jump higher. One type of energy makes you jump further, right? further horizontally. So you need to make sure that if you're kind of tipping the scales one way or the other to get through an obstacle, you can never go all the way to one or the other because you die. Uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, thematically, it works really well. Also uh, sounds sort of, potentially maddening. Oh, it, it, I'm sure it could be. I've only played like another, uh, I don't know, two hours or so of the game so far. Uh, and, and thus far, the challenge level is very, <clears throat> very nice. It's, it's, it's been a nice run up, basically. It feels right. It feels very good. Uh, to me anyway, but one thing Anodyne, the only real criticism I had of Anodyne was that it got way too hard at the very end with some platforming stuff. Uh, that was a little too difficult, so we'll see. We'll see if we they took that note and they fixed it this time. Uh, but, th sorry, the point I was trying to make is that they're doing a lot of the things that they did for Anodyne in terms of the sort of 2D Zelda, but they're doing that with a 2D platformer uh, sort of here. But again, with their sort of signature inclusiveness, their sort of signature emphasis on story and, and trying to say something with their story. And also, God, their art is so goddamn beautiful. <laughs> they just do really, really awesome pixel art and music as well. So I realize I'm talking about this game and it sounds like Danielle Bait, right? It's like inclusive, you know, characters of all races and genders and sexuality, In, you know, a old style game that's really satisfying mechanically to play, a cool story, weird otherworldly art and music. Like this is absolutely Danielle bait. And, and that's, I think what brought me to wanting to discuss this idea of advocacy when it's like, oh man, this is like on paper, like the only way they could have, you know, if they got the alien license, maybe this could have <laughs> even, you know, but uh, otherwise. But basically they put the box like yeah. on the stick with your name on the side. <laughs> Pretty and, much, and like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that where it's like a game was like 
just, it seems like it was just made for you and you're just so excited about it and you're so happy about it, but you want to take that moment and be like, okay, I need to, I need to make sure I'm doing my due diligence here too and, and being professional about it. And, and hopefully people, you know, don't think I'm being disingenuous when I'm, you know, when I'm saying this is an awesome game. This is a really cool thing to experience. Yeah, I mean, definitely there's, I mean, so to, to your to your immediate question, like there, there's all kinds of games that are they're totally like Zachney bait, um, you know, <laughs> nice. there's a little game like you know The Witcher Three, uh, for instance, was oh, that like, little game, that little yeah, gem, yeah, uh, <laughs> little indie game you may have heard. no, uh, so there, there there's a lot of games that that sort of that sort of push a lot of those buttons for me, and uh, it it can. But but for me, and, and it sounds like maybe this this is part of uh, of your anxiety as well, is that like when something is so like tailor made for you, even setting aside um you know your 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 journalistic objectives, um there's kind of a part that starts second guessing yourself, right? Like, is this really that good? Or yeah. <laughs> is it just speaking to so many of of my interests, uh, so many of my passions, that it's kind of short-circuiting my ability to evaluate this uh, in a in a detached sense. Uh, and that can definitely, like, at least that's sort of what I'm taking away. It's something I sometimes, like, worry about, too, is, like, is this really this good? Or is it just, like... You know, Delicious candy for you. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> am I being pandered to? And am I liking it? And 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 that is always something that um, sort of surfaces in in these conversations for me at least. Yeah, I think I you know I think in terms of this particular game, I so far and again I'm still pretty early on it. Uh, I feel that the the design is is satisfying and it's mechanically tight and it's kind of doing all those things that I like on the sort of gameplay level. Uh, so. So I'm not too concerned about it being like kind of crappy, but I love it just because it's doing all those other things. But I am definitely concerned uh, if, uh, uh, you know, the sort of being pandered to aspect of it. And, you know, uh, no no presumptions that like analgesic is like, oh, Danielle likes this. We'll make this for her. Not not in that that's way. A, but like, that's a pretty <laughs> terrible get rich quick scheme. Yeah. Not going to work for <laughs> that's not going to work too hot for you. Um but yeah, the, the the whole idea that it's sort of opening up, and, it, and it's the same way I feel about a lot of games that are like, finally, I am in, I want to say it this way, but like, for most of my life, I wasn't necessarily being pandered to. Let's put it that way. I was like, you know, like a, a, a queer, earnest <laughs> kind of person. You know, I wasn't really in much danger of that until, let's say, a couple of years ago when a whole a whole lot more kinds of games started being more fashionable, right? Because of, you know, things being opened up a little bit more, you know, indie indie developers sort of being able to make different kinds of things. Uh, so so it's a relatively new thing for me. And I feel the same way about a lot of TV shows too, right? And we're starting to kind of feel this way sometimes about like, well, this sort of queer inclusive sci-fi thing, hmm, with, with women in charge. Wow, it, it's so amazing. I'm so glad that this exists. And then there are times I'm like, do I like it? Because it's like, because it's that, or do I like it because it's great and amazing and awesome? <laughs> Definitely having a lot of those feelings, and and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's great because I have more things to choose from, right? I actually have things that kind of speak to me on a certain level. 
But that does make me want to be more thoughtful about it for sure and sort of do the gut check thing and say, all right, what, what, am, I, what am I digging here? What am, what am I getting into here? And what am, I, what am I feeling on the surface and what am I feeling a little deeper? Yeah, and that's something I've never really been happy with, like how, I, how to really dial that, that in. Because sometimes it feels like the act of trying to reach that level of detachment uh, is itself disingenuous, right? You know, sure. you're, you're trying to like separate yourself from sensations and feelings that you are legitimately experiencing. Yeah. Uh, and yes, there's value in sort of analyzing like what is what is uh, uh, evoking those feelings. But at the same time, like, you know, if you take it far enough, there, there's a point where you're, you're also almost like trying to, to deny uh, the reactions. You know what I mean? You're, yeah. you're, you're trying yeah. to you're trying to pin it down too much and. Uh, you know, that, that's sort of the, the mirage of, of objectivity, right? Like, yeah. I want to be some sort of unthinking, evaluative uh, robot <laughs> that's going to uh, ignore basically every <laughs> every non-mechanical objective this work has uh, and then yeah. and then derive some and then reach some kind of verdict on it. So, I mean, I think that's 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 the first part. But but I'm interested in this um this this feeling that. That you feel like there's a there's a line around advocacy, uh, or like that that you're concerned about crossing, because uh, I mean, isn't like you know part of our job, isn't it? Isn't it to just like find and celebrate good stuff, right? Yes. Like that's yes. that's definitely what we're here to do, and it's what a lot of people like, uh, you know, read people like us, uh, the, the, the read our opinions to sort of find what else is out there that's that's uh, striking these kinds of chords. So, absolutely, like, we both know that, like, celebrating good stuff is, you know, part of the job description. It's inherent It's one of the best it. parts of the job. Honestly, I get the most joy out of that part of the job. You know, being like, I found something amazing. I want to share it with the world. You know, kind of shout it from the rooftops. Because this, this thing, whatever we're talking about, is, like, it's fucking good. <laughs> so, where are you supposed you know? to draw the line between, like, celebrating and advocating, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I do think it kind of goes back to something we talked about uh, in a different context, but a fair bit last week, which was sort of the gut check thing. You know, somebody had asked about, you know, uh, people's reaction to the Luke Cage or something and, and, and kind of going around and around with uh, various opinions with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to do a gut check with myself. I'm always kind of doing that kind of on a daily basis, being like, all right, Danielle, you know, I look in the mirror and I say, all right. What's going on with this? And and try to have that gut check moment. I don't literally do that. That would be completely bananas. And people in my office would probably be like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, so I do think it's a gut check thing. But it's also something that I want to be very thoughtful about. And I want to approach it thoughtfully. And I and I kind of want to be challenged on it if if need be, if that makes sense. Like I want people that I trust. I'm not talking about random people on the internet, but I'm talking about people that I trust and like, and I trust their opinions for them to be like, all right, well, you know, tell me a little bit about this. Why are you so excited about this? Uh, because I think that keeps me honest and I think it keeps things fair, you know, and, and it, I think it keeps things on the sort of right side of the line. Um, and I, and I actually don't think advocacy is, is necessarily a sort of a bad word in this, in this context because we are mm, quote unquote tastemakers or whatever. We, we are supposed to kind of find cool things and show them to other people. Uh, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't. I don't think that's like a negative thing. It just needs to be taken carefully. Um, and I am someone who, you know, you'll find this shocking, Rob, but I am someone who gets really enthusiastic when I like something. 
<laughs> and I and I guess I want to stay honest with that because I suppose I, I just want people to be able to trust that my enthusiasm is coming from a very real place. It's not this fake. All right, time for the fake smile and the doing the dance, you know, that I'm that I'm just advocating for something because I think that's the right thing to do as opposed to, no, I really think this is great. I really have a lot of uh, good, positive feelings about something for, for whatever reason. Yeah, I think something that I... So, so something I, I tend maybe to over-rely on is that it's easy to feel like after you've been doing this for a while that like people kind of know what the score is with you. <laughs> sure. um, and I would sort of sometimes think to myself and, and I'm still not sure I, I, this is the, this is the wrong approach either. Like if you want to see how I approach games, like there's, there's like six, seven years, maybe eight at this point, there, there's, there's many years <laughs> worth of, reviews and writing that that you can consult right like that like there's there's a pretty clear track record uh where these things where these things are concerned and so part of it is when when i like would would approach a game part of it is like i'm I'm going to i'm going to still bring that lens and you know we don't have (laughs) you know we don't have like a five thousand word uh you know word count where it's where it's like Okay, so here's all the things I'm bringing to this game. And just so you know, by the way, I tend to run a little hot on these things, but a little cool on these other things. Just yeah, so you know. Yeah. Um, and 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 so like there is kind of a like when I hear you talk, um, I can sort of adjust what I'm hearing because like I know you. You know what I mean? Exactly. I, I, I know your work. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so if Danielle's really into this. Uh, here's what I think I probably need to take with a little bit of a grain of salt, like I do around <laughs> Lost Girl, for instance. Sure. Uh, but yep. but then there's but then there's stuff where, where where I'm like, you know, okay, so this is where we align, and and I, like if 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 you're cool with that, then I'm then I'm probably going to enjoy it as well, and that's a great thing. And I think it's a it's a fun thing about like, I think people are supposed to have relationship with relationships with their critics uh, in yeah, some ways. Yeah. Like, I mean, come on, like. You always had like the two or three movie reviewers you always consulted, right? Because I sure as yes. I sure as hell did. Yes, definitely. And one of them usually I disagreed with, but they were a useful sort of compass bearing. Yeah. Uh, and then there were the two that I tended to look to more for, like you know, is this thing worth dragging my ass out of the house to go see? <laughs> and it's it's good to have that that kind of relationship. Uh, I guess so. Part of it. Is maybe it's just like the, the the climate around games writing these days, is that like to an extent, in the last couple of years, like enthusiasm about things that are relevant to your interests or your identity, mm-hmm. like became faintly criminalized. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I just I I I have no patience for that. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's that's a conversation I'm not really interested in having because yeah. it's like you either. You like, like if you're going to take that position, uh, then then that you know that someone is is too enthusiastic about something that speaks to them on a personal level because those feelings shouldn't come into uh, games reviewing. At that point, like our definition of what this job is, what this relationship is, what what my relationship is to like creative works, it's so like we're 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 talking we're, we're night and day different from each other. Yes. And there's no there's no real conversation 
uh, to be had there. So, you know, that's something I just, I, I tend not to worry about. I guess where I've sometimes started to feel a little self-conscious is that sometimes I just really fucking like a game. God damn right. And I right. want people <laughs> to play it. Like yeah. on on three moves ahead I uh, like I still sometimes like pause and I'm like okay Zach, need to let it go. Like just don't like, <laughs> you don't need to tell people about Grey Goo. Like it had its time. It had its shot. Like people people didn't enjoy it. You got to stop bringing it up. Today today we recorded another episode of Three Moves Ahead and uh a, an old RTS, a Ruse, came up. And I loved Ruse. Ruse was fantastic. And I'm still kind of pissed that more people didn't like Ruse. Like, like not only did I really like it, but somehow it bothers me that more people didn't. Uh, yes, um, yes. And on the show, we definitely, like... There's there there are some games that just turn into like the hobby horses, right? These are the yeah. or there there are there they are our pet causes, uh, <laughs> as it were. And I sometimes get a little self conscious about that, but at the same time, we don't have many of them. You know what I mean? Right. And right. And usually, usually they are. By the way, very much lost causes. Like what we're trying to do is like get something that didn't get all that much attention. To get just a little more attention using whatever right. megaphone uh, we have, and so at that point, like, you know, am, are we are we ramming it down people's throats? I don't I don't think so because again, like, they're they're our audience. You know, they've kind of volunteered uh, to be there for something like that. Uh, you know, we don't we try not to belabor the point, but I guess it might be a little different for you because like this is an upcoming game. And I mean, you're an editor now, you know, I mean, yeah. like, you, you know, in, yeah. like, as of a few years ago, we were just like, we were foot soldiers, uh, right. basically, you know, yes, it was we like, were. you, your editor tells you play this thing, write this about it yeah. by this date. And that was the job. That was it. And so your room to advocate, your room to advocate was really, really limited. I suppose that might change a little bit if suddenly you've got like, you know, a section that you can that you can manage and curate and, and uh, set a coverage agenda. Uh, but even there, I don't know. Like you know, like no, like if you're a good editor, you're not going to be like, you know, what Waypoint really needs <laughs> a five part retrospective on Anodyne. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Like it's, I guess, like for me, this is this is one of those things where I'm I'm just like. I worry about it more in terms of like critical clarity, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. am I just no longer uh, being sufficiently critical? Am I no longer paying enough attention to like why I'm having these feelings? Uh, that's that's the sort of thing that that bothers me a little bit uh, in situations like this. But as for like celebrating cool creative works or or studios that like have consistently like hit home runs for me i don't know i i tend to think that like i i i guess i fundamentally think that's that's part of the job to an extent yeah yeah i i definitely after after gamergate i i started getting really scared as well of a sort of a, an associated Phenomena, which is, of course, if you have a, a friend who works at a developer that you like. You know, I remember 
doing some coverage on, this is not related to Gamergate, this is post, way, way, way post, but I remember, you know, writing some coverage on on some Double Fine games sort of later on and always being like, oh, Spaff works there, I need to make sure it's in, you know, 10 places, I got to cover my ass that, like, I have a friend who works there and blah, blah, blah. And this is not, uh, this has nothing to do with actually sort of writing those disclaimers. I'm always happy to write those disclaimers. I believe in covering your ass and being diligent and being careful about this stuff. But I, I, I do also fear it sort of not looking right sometimes if I, if I like really like, I, I tend to love double fine games. That's, that's not a, a secret. I like a lot of the stuff they make. I think Costume Quest and Brutal Legend are two of the best Halloween games ever made ever. And I enjoy playing them every October if I can. And, you know, I really liked Headlander quite a bit. That was sort of the last one that they made that I was like, hell yeah, this is great. Uh, and I always kind of want to be like, look, here's the thing that happens in this industry sometimes. Sometimes you you will make friends sort of across the industry in all sorts of positions and all sorts of places, and that's a normal and okay thing. Uh, it doesn't mean that I liked a game because my friend made it. And that's always that's always going to be something I'm terrified that people think, even if I'm very, very careful about disclaiming and X, Y, and Z. One of the voices that's always in my, never far from my head, it's a voice that <laughs> frequently pops up in my head. Uh, have you ever seen Presumed Innocent with Harrison Ford? No, I haven't actually. Oh, One you, of the few Harrison Ford joints oh, I haven't because I thought I covered it's most of my It's a good things. Harrison Ford joint. All right, this good. Is, good. This is like vintage, like young mid thirties Harrison oh, Ford, where yeah, perfect. like he's yeah, he's like your dream dad. Oh, I love uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's a really good. It's a it's a really good uh, like courtroom drama. Good, but there is this point. Where this really slimy, like, uh, self-promoting uh, ADA uh, thinks he's really got Harrison Ford's character on, like, an ethics charge or something. And, and presents this entire, like, litany of, like, uh, evidence to, to this judge in this, in this uh, evidentiary hearing. Uh, proving that, like, this is germane to the case. And it, it, it reveals all sorts of malfeasance and conflict of interest. And it go, the guy goes on for ages. Oh, and then God. the judge just looks at him. And asks, who cares? <laughs> it's such a good moment. Good. It's just like, it, it sucks good. all the air out of the room. I just like looks, looks at the judge staring. And the judge is like, no, but really, who cares? Who do you think gives a damn? Oh, it's so good. Um, and, and and the judge's point obviously is is that like really like this is this is not a smoking gun it's 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 a really minor issue yeah. uh and it absolutely doesn't doesn't deserve uh hearing in a court and i kind of like yeah. think about that sometimes when we start discussing uh like journalist journalistic ethics around games in part because the stakes matter that they really do like National security reporters who are friends with their sources, like in the in, like in the Justice Department, in the Department of Defense, yep, and then sort of parrot what they say uncritically in like news coverage. Yeah, that's an, that's that's important. That's that's, that's a something problem, you should man. be concerned about. Yeah. yeah, when a you know campaign correspondent has somehow like started to personally identify with a campaign, uh, and and fundamentally like likes this candidate and begins soft peddling crit criticism and sort of slanting the coverage to sort of promote their, their, their worldview and their candidacy. Again, a problem that, that affects like real lives. 
Um, there, there's real consequences to that. And so, like, those are areas where, like, those social connections are a little harder to navigate and they yeah. should be handled uh, a, a little more thoughtfully. Uh, we tend to be talking about video games. Though. Yeah. And, and like more Pretty importantly. exclusively. Yeah. And yeah. more importantly, like, it's not like, in in many cases, it's not like our friend's game. Like, uh, we've, we've both got yeah. a, a friend who worked on Mafia 3. Yes. Uh, one of hundreds of people to do so. Correct. Like, it, it's not like I, I fire up Mafia 3 and I'm like, oh man, like it's Seth's game. Here's Seth's I game. I know it's going to yeah. be real good now because Seth worked on it. Yeah, like, no, totally, totally. And and like, this is not to say that we don't think games like can be a, a, a totally important part of culture and that they can they can express things and things like that. But like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I used to write about the death penalty. Like, I... <laughs> I understand. Um, I definitely understand. I guess it's more for me. I don't. I don't want there to be anything that sort of erodes trust between me and like my audience. I don't. I don't really care about randos who are who, who hate women who <laughs> write about games. You know, th their opinion will never be high, and uh, for me, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. It's more that like I want to make sure that I'm actually serving my audience, and I want to make sure that like. I'm I'm doing the best I can. You know what I'm saying? Like I I want to make sure I'm doing I'm being the best game journalist, whatever the hell, critic, writer, editor. I want to be the best I can be. I want my opinions to be honest. I want them to be from the heart, and I want them to. I just want my work to be of a high quality. So I guess there are times I I I desire a good sniff test. I want to be like, all right, this <laughs> this thing I put out into the world, it's very enthusiastic. I want you to know came right from the heart this is not a, a pile of bullshit that i dressed up with pretty words this is this is from the heart man it's it's where it's coming from yeah and i mean there are areas obviously where those disclosure issues uh become maybe a little more relevant like if it's literally seth's game uh for instance right. like yeah. at that point it's like hey like my buddy made a game and i want to talk about it because i think it's cool but you should know he like this person's yeah. my buddy, and it might like just like bear that in mind as as I tell you about this. Th this and we game. did that with Firewatch. Like we definitely every time you know when we were talking about it in a critical sense, we were like, meh, meh, you know, by the way, and and I think that's fine, and I think a disclaimer is good. Like you know, if somebody really needed to know about that stuff, it's there. It's above board, whatever. It's there. You know. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, but as for. Like, like setting aside those like ethics and game journalism issues, I think the <laughs> sure. going back to the advocacy thing, I guess there's an element of sometimes you have to recognize when you're no longer like trying to celebrate and call attention to something you think is really special and you sort of crossed into trying to push it on people. Uh, you know what I mean? That you've, yeah. you know, you, you, you've gone from. Uh, you know, someone shouting on your rooftop because you're really enthusiastic to being a door-to-door -door salesman. You know, right. saying like, yes. have you heard about Anodyne? 
Hey, nice, <laughs> nice, nice day there. Uh, you know, great to meet you. Uh, let me tell you about a game called Anodyne. Go play. Uh, no, 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 don't. Yeah. No, no, this will only take a minute of your time, sir. Only just, just, just five minutes. Just, <laughs> just hang on. I've really got. I really need to talk to you about Anodyne. My supervisor's a real jerk. Like, you just need to sign this thing. <laughs> Like, 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 say that I've, I've told you about Anodyne. Here's the link to the Steam page. Here's the sticker. Just yeah, exactly. I voted. I played Anodyne. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, that's that's definitely something to be wary of. But usually, the thing that prevents that from happening again is like people get sick of hearing about it. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it, it's it's fun. We have a running joke about The Witcher Three on this show, <laughs> but like, yeah. if we were legitimately coming back week after week after week after week after week with like new witcher and like anecdotes and stuff like that that just gets old uh and and witcher's a big game where it's easy to do do stuff like that but like i mean how much is there to say uh you know on a podcast about a game like anodyne um you know like like how like how like how many times can you revisit those themes before you've kind of exhausted them for entertaining material and now you're just kind of making a meal out of it right of course yeah and and it's like it's always going to be the case that we're you and i are are the kinds of people and this is the way we have to play games that we are always kind of playing different things at different times or sort of covering different things at different times so i'm 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 not worried i guess in that case like i'm I'm just not worried about that um yeah i think we're gonna do okay (laughs) I guess this was kind of therapy for me being like, yeah, you know, sometimes I worry that I'm overly enthusiastic, but you know what? It's coming from a good place. And we talked it out and I, f- I feel good now, Rob. I feel, I feel really good about our approach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think cool stuff needs more advocacy. Uh, not God less. Damn right. Like, and I'm yeah. okay with that. Cause like here, here's what we're up against too is like, and here's what, here's what cool projects tend to be up against is like, the new Assassin's Creed game, whatever it is, uh, is going to get like wall to wall coverage across tons mm-hmm. of game blogs. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, like here's a new here's a new cutscene. Uh, here here's us analyzing the cutscene. Yeah. Um, here's uh, here's fifteen minutes of multiplayer gameplay from the new Battlefield. Uh, here's and and by the way, there's also uh, a a a wrapper ad uh, around the site. Yep. Uh, also advertising uh, that game or another blockbuster or something like that. And, you know, then there's going to be the the day one review assignment. Like, like the big things with tons of marketing money behind them and tons of built-in consumer interest, they get their day in the sun. They get many <laughs> days yeah. in the sun. And it can be really tough to break through that. And the only thing you've got at that point is sort of your enthusiasm and your willingness to try and, like, say, like, okay, everyone hang on for a second. Like, you haven't heard about this thing. Let me tell you why it's awesome, uh, you know, because it's, cause it's, because it's worthy of that attention. Uh, and that's, that's about, like, the, you know, that, that's all we've got. Uh, and, and so I, I tend to think, like, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of why our our jobs exist to an extent and it's why like you know games websites remain kind of relevant and cool as you know and sometimes it feels like as as a media landscape increasingly um coalesces around uh always always sort of celebrating and advocating for the things that have already won yeah yeah god 
I'm I'm just I'm just so excited about even the ocean. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's where why I keep coming back to. Um, it's sort of a game I keep wanting to play and that's that's the ultimate sniff test right you can talk about how cool something is in the abstract and be like man what a cool thing that exists if you don't want to go watch it more or play it more that's when you know <laughs> that's when you know it failed the sniff test but if you want to keep playing it if you want to go back to it if you want to you know dive in a little deeper that's how you know that's how you know it's real I guess that's true love Rob <laughs> oh man there is nothing there is nothing lamer than like really being over the moon about something in public and like doing all that celebrating and stuff. And then like a week or so later, you're like, man, I don't give a shit about that at all. (laughs) And then, and then you sort of slink away. (laughs) You're like, no, I totally like, I still love that thing. It's great. I haven't played it. I haven't played it in 18 months and didn't really, I stopped thinking about it 19 months ago. So that happened. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) Uh, that's, that's maybe more the thing to worry about is like sort of getting carried away. But again, that's sort of what we're talking about is that where, like, where are my feelings really, really coming from? Like, is this really that good or did it just make an awesome first impression? Yeah. In other news, play even the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably uh, a good place for us to go into our weekend correspondence. Our first letter comes in. From Will from Chicago. Also, hey, hey, Chicago friend, go Cubs. Nice, good work there. Uh, (laughs) Will says, hi, DNR. First time, long time. I recently finished Quantum Break on PC and liked it more than I thought I would, much like Remedy's last title, Alan Wake. Aside from the frenetic combat, what really sucked me in was its host of $3 sci-fi side characters. A question for another time might be, were these side characters only rich because they were told through FMV? But for now, I wanted to hear your thoughts on the nature of the contemporary NPC. We talk a lot about the distinction between games that follow whatever titular hero leads them and games that function as a mirror for the self, a la Skyrim. In the latter, the self you project onto the character only has meaning because of the NPCs with which your character interacts. After all, what is cast away without Wilson? Even purposely, excuse me, even purposefully lonesome titles like the Souls series really sing when you have a glimpse of interaction with others. My partner grew up in a large family and as a result hates being alone. She says, when I'm alone, I feel like I don't exist. So how do we start exalting the NPC? When do NPCs stop being referred to as a character that is not the player, which as I write this makes the term NPC sound strangely derogatory, how do we build NPCs that hold an equitable space as the player character and aren't paper cutouts? And finally, what are some games that, in your mind, hold up in that regard? Love the show. Will from Chicago. Will, have you heard about The Witcher and the Bloody Baron? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, was, I, was, I had to race to get that out ahead of you, Danielle. It was really good. <clears throat> it was good. God damn it. I was going to say The Witcher, but I can't do it now. All right. You know what? Mass Effect 2, my friend. That, mm. that was a game with some cool NPCs. That, well, I suppose you somewhat play as them. I mean, that's a little weird. You're the protagonist, right? But you're also sort of managing uh, your party members. So I guess they're semi-party members, semi-NPCs. But but there's, you know, 
amazing, rich interaction with them. They have backstories that you kind of dive into in, in missions, which is, you know, it's always nice when you get to do something mechanically, uh, actually go on a mission, actually do something that has to do with a backstory instead of just having, you know, a lore dump <laughs> at some point. Uh, so yeah, that would probably be my go-to for, for obviously other than our, your favorite game and mine, The Witcher. Yeah. Well. Uh, Hang yeah. on, like I kind of feel like the 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 meaning of NPC has has shifted a little bit though too. It has, like, yeah. I don't think NPC means non-player controlled characters as much as it used to. Because like I don't think of <clears throat> like Rex isn't an NPC. He's yeah. a character in in Mass Effect. Like, right. He's a character, uh, and yeah, you don't control him, but he's you know if it was a movie, it's one of the supporting actors, uh, yes. pr- pretty much. Um, NPCs when like when I hear that term thrown around now, increasingly I think it means like you know bit players and uh, you know kind of the extras that that populate uh, you know a, an open world game, right? Those are lousy with NPCs that that have no meaning whatsoever. They just they just exist to sort of give the illusion illusion of life. But I feel like I feel like the 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 non-player characters the uh the the characters sort of who sort of surround the protagonist a lot of games i feel like they've already become pretty damn exalted yeah yeah they are at least in in these sort of very character based games i mean there's still certainly types of games where you know they're just quest givers or just you know sort of Basically, they're for flavor text, but but yeah, I think in games that that take an approach to character, most characters are fairly important, including the sort of NPCs. I I, I keep thinking about Westworld, uh, in, in terms of this question about NPCs and sort of what you do to NPCs and what they mean and and how they are. But have you have you watched any of it yet, Rob? No, the okay. uh, the HBO subscription is back in Boston, and oh, um, <clears throat> awesomely, uh, Comcast doesn't let you use HBO Go. No. Uh, PS4. No. Yeah. That's for not real. fair. No, that's it's not it's fair. really not. It's complete that's some bullshit. bullshit. God. <clears throat> so, I, I feel like. Well, I won't go into it because I, I do actually think we could have an awesome discussion. No, go into about that. No, because go into it because like Twitter and Vox have have already done their job. You're already, yeah, uh, you're already done. Literally, literally every story. <laughs> Good. Well, I you know I don't want to go on and on about it, but that entire show is sort of about. <laughs> the place of NPCs and, and sort of what their rights might be and what their their place in the world might be if they were sort of sufficiently sophisticated, basically. You know, oh, if you make an NPC in a game, in a, in a world, in a game, uh, advanced enough, it'll actually start being smart. And at one point, does something that's smart actually have feelings and, and rights and, and personhood? And, you know, that's kind of the whole crux of the show. That's the whole damn point of the show. So I feel like... I feel like they're going to some interesting places with that. I don't, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm still... God, I'm on... Actually, I did just catch up. Yeah, I, I've been able to sleep a little this weekend and actually catch up with some things. Um, I like some of the places they're going with it. I, it's very, very dark, um, but necessary, I think. And and yeah, I, I would I would point well in that direction as well to to see a little bit of commentary about that specific subject. I, I do think. Um... Something like. Maybe this problem went away for me a little bit in Mass Effect 2. Uh, hmm. But in Mass Effect 1, it did sometimes feel like your your sidekicks, your companions, um, 
they existed completely to make to give you opportunities for like loaded decisions at some sure. point. You know what I mean? Like like <laughs> yeah. these characters like no none of these characters had real agency, right? Like I mean like you know, if 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 you allow if, if Rex exercises his agency uh and your and your uh like paragon isn't high enough uh in, in Mass Effect, you shoot him. Um, yeah. so like, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that, that's, that's kind of the, uh, the, the inner life they're, they're allowed to lead. Um, I don't know. I, I think maybe part of it as well is something I like about the Witcher. And we've discussed this many times <laughs> is that the characters do not always react predictably yeah it's all scripted like once you've had that encounter like you you kind of know how it's going to play out but like you know there's a moment where you see like an an elf woman being harassed uh and you step in and you you have the option of ignoring it or stepping in um and that night i was feeling sort of aggro so i stepped in and (laughs) went the full like you know you know piss off before i kill you all that kind of thing uh and and she's like you think you just made anything better like, yeah. you, like well, don't kid yourself. Like, you did that to make you feel better. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't change shit for me. Um, and that was kind of cool because, like, those are, those are like, characters that give you this feeling that um, these people who otherwise exist as narrative devices inhabit a space that's larger than your story and a context that's, that's larger than yours. And I think that can also be a, a crucial distinction because, like, again... A lot of times the, um, you know, the, the, the Skyrim model, those characters sort of exist solely to react to you. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you leave them alone, uh, they sort of go into almost like a, it seems like they go, they go into a rest state and they just wait. <laughs> wait for you to yeah. come back so that, like, stuff can happen again. And obviously, like, I'm conflating two completely different, like, mechanical interactions. Uh, but I, I do kind of feel like... Like well, really it's framed th- a particular way. You know, it's framed yeah. in a certain way. It's it's smart writing and smart sort of framing devices in The Witcher that that imply an inner life where they don't even kind of bother with that in, in Skyrim or in that model. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that's where it can get a little bit not necessarily creepy, but I think there's some there was a, there was a reason I like. You know, I'm I'm assuming that like Will means that Skyrim can be kind of a a lonely game uh, in in some ways because certainly that's how I found it. And part of it is the setting; like it's very Spartan and yeah. and empty. But <clears throat> part of it was also it seemed like a world where nobody has any relationships. Everyone is completely atomized. Like the king has his son running around in the hall, and the son's a complete little douchebag. <laughs> uh, but you don't see them interact. You know what I mean? You don't really get the sense that like there's a father-son relationship there or that the the king has has views on the sort of person his his son is 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 becoming. The, it was a world that just sort of like started to get me down a, a little bit because it felt like I was just sort of wandering from place to place and these robots would sort of, you know, kick on, these animatronics would sort of kick on when I was nearby. And if something had to happen there, uh, they would do something different, and then they would go back to sort of shuffling around between their, you know, between their 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 behavior nodes, right? Like, well, time to go pretend to shop, time to go pretend to sleep, and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And I do think that the direction uh, the direction for, for a lot of RPGs is increasingly replacing those types of characters with people who feel, again, like, to, that, yeah, that, that sort of fake that sense of there being an inner life. Yeah. Uh, because that is so much more effective narratively. It's more, it, it makes for more compelling characters. Uh, but also it can just make the game feel less, less creepy. Yeah, totally. Less uncanny valley. <laughs> All right, our next letter comes from uh, Julia in Boston. Julia writes, Hi, Robin Danielle. Uh, since I'm trying to catch up on the most recent episode of Idle Weekend, I just listened to the Roughing It episode from July. Uh, <laughs> this episode really struck a chord with me, particularly Danielle's experience with Animal Crossing New Leaf. She described it as a very comforting experience during a difficult time in her life, and this reminded me very strongly of my own experience with Stardew Valley. I started playing Stardew Valley this past summer uh, when I had just switched majors in college, and I was struggling with extreme depression and anxiety, both of which were going untreated. Don't worry, I'm being treated now. Uh, I felt yeah. disconnected from friends since I was away from uh, away since I was at home away from college and from family since I felt like I couldn't talk to them about the fact I was so inexplicably and sad all the time. I honestly think Stardew Valley single-handedly got me through that lonely, miserable summer. There was something really refreshing in the message of simplicity in the game. You play as a former office worker who has become burdened by the weight of modern life and decides to move to the valley to start a new career as a farmer. You slowly become friends with the villagers, chatting with them and bringing them homemade gifts, and they in turn open up to you about their dreams and problems. The relationships in this game felt so easy and natural during a time in my life where my own real-life relationships were crumbling, and it was unbelievably comforting to feel that way when I was so mentally unhealthy, even if it was only about characters in a video game. It was also reassuring to see one of the characters, Shane, struggling with a similar mental illness, and I felt less alone because of that. I just revisited the, the game this month and actually cried for a while after seeing some of the scenes with Shane from the update that fleshed out his character more and delved deeper into his mental health problems. I think this is a game that is going to be forever tied to this unhappy period of my life, and I'll probably always have a strong emotional re reaction to it, but I am so glad that I found Stardew Valley when I did because it truly helped me. Besides Animal Crossing, do you two have any games like this that are tied to a specific event or period in your life that still remind you of how you felt during that time? Or games that you were grateful that you play during a specific time in your life. Do you have any games that you feel particular that you find particularly comforting? I have a couple. <laughs> um, I know there's one that I've I've probably mentioned before on the podcast, uh, and that was um, I went through this breakup when I was 16. I I was dating this boy, and I thought he was the greatest boy in the world, and. I know it's funny now. Um, and <laughs> he just sort of dumped me and I didn't sleep for two weeks. And this this is how young Danielle would, would figure out she actually had a, uh, her own issues with depression. I played Chrono Trigger, believe it or not. It was his game and I had borrowed it. And playing through that game sort of through a whole chunk of the summer made me feel a lot better. It, it was just sort of this bright and happy, you know, RPG. It was one of my first RPGs and it was it was just a good place to be, a good place for me to spend my time. And I, and I also sort of had that during the same period with Perfect Dark, which is weird, I know, but uh, I, I sure liked it. There was another time uh, when I was, I was super, super depressed, sort of right after my freshman year of college. I, I had been playing lacrosse uh, in college, and I hated my teammates. They were really mean. It was like Mean Girls, the team, 
And uh, I was sort of new to lacrosse. I had, I had only started playing in college. Uh, and, and we went to the championships that year cause we were pretty good, but I was so pissed cause it meant I had to like keep, stay at my college dorm for like weeks longer. And I just wanted to go home and I was sad and I was depressed I played a whole shitload of Metroid Prime and Wind Waker. It was like GameCube, a Palooza. Uh, and, and those games were both colorful and in, in different ways for sure. Uh, and they and they just sort of helped me through that time. I, I clearly use games at many times in my life. And sort of the last one that I'll share, even though I have like 20 more, uh, the last one I'll share because I actually think is kind of funny and a little bit cute. Uh, it's not one specific game, but it's sort of uh, being in a in a happy place around games anyway. Well, I, I, it is kind of Just Dance. I guess it's, you know, sorry, Dance Central, not de- Just Dance. Uh, my grandmother died uh right around PAX uh, 2011. And I, I, you know, I always went to PAX East with my students. That was always a thing that I did. And this particular year, I, I had to write a, a eulogy uh, for my grandmother because uh, all of, uh, at least a couple of her grandkids kind of had to, we had to speak at her funeral. And I sort of sat down, I, I said goodbye to my students for a while. And I sat down at the, right outside the uh, Dance Central sort of area where people were playing publicly. And it was like, kids it was mostly teenagers it was kids like having the time of their damn life dancing around in this game and I wrote this eulogy as I was sort of like sitting there being like you know this seems really fucking weird (laughs) but like my grandmother was this incredibly joyous and sarcastic person and and would find this somehow perfect like you know it's a bunch of kids dancing around like idiots to this you know to like Snoop Dogg or whatever but she would have I just had this strong sense of like she would have found this fucking funny so it feels right (laughs) and so I guess in that way uh Dance Central helped me through a, a kind of a difficult thing too I guess my most vivid uh association along those lines is um yeah it was it was the the world of warcraft period my, my blue period oh nice yes. uh which was yes. yeah like yeah also like uh not only the aftermath of a breakup but like <clears throat> the aftermath of a series of increasingly disastrous personal decisions uh that oh, no. then turned into disastrous academic decisions uh <laughs> sort of all tied up into one uh sort of stemming from that and uh, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, my God, so much of that was self inflicted. Uh, <laughs> sure. Like you could you could have just decided to care less, uh, but I chose to care more. And uh, what ended up happening was I got into I got really into World of Warcraft, um, which was basically the exact wrong game uh, to come out <laughs> at that point. Like, like you, you talk about the analgesic thing. Uh, so my memory of sort of the first winter of that thing's existence, um, a lot of my friends in high school were also sort of unhappy, like latchkey kids, uh, from, uh, broken or semi-broken homes and stuff like that. So, uh, it's sort of our first, you know, Christmas back, uh, you know, back in Northwest Indiana and, a few of my friends had rented a house together because uh, they because they had, like they weren't going to college or they were going to college in uh, in the, in the region, mm-hmm. and so I was like, well, shit, like that's the hangout now. Like we finally have like our home base. It no longer has to be uh, the most neglectful parent uh, parents basement. Uh, now it's <laughs> <laughs> now, now we have our like entirely our own place, and it turned into one of the most ridiculous places I have ever, 
I did kind of live there uh, for a couple yeah. weeks, just like leveling in World of Warcraft and playing that game all the time and reading uh, wikis and, and stuff like that, like guides on, on how to build a character and how to, uh, you know, where to find crafting materials the fastest and all this stuff. And uh, alongside that, like, nobody was sleeping. Nobody was pausing from this. Like, it was this nonstop, like, people would make runs to the gas station to buy everyone a carton of their cigarette of choice. And you just sort of throw cash at them. And they'd come back and they'd give you, uh, like, I think it's 10 packs to a carton. Uh, So, Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's not that's that's not good math. That's that's a lot of cigarettes. Uh, so and so like a, a carton of cigarettes would come back, and you know, and, and then someone else would go out for food, and it's like, what what should we get? And it's and no one can agree, so it's like, fine, I'll just go get like a crave case from White Castle, and oh, come yeah. back and like just there's a there's a suitcase full of like White Castle cheeseburgers and shit. <laughs> Uh, and like there was nonstop like liquor in every direction. Like I remember drinking like Jack like Jack and Cokes from like a sixty ounce beer stein or oh, something. Jesus, like that. yeah. So it was this, <laughs> and so in my head, like World of Warcraft. There's the game that World of Warcraft was, but then there was this like desperate like almost siege mentality uh, <laughs> that was associated with it as like a half dozen of us sort of rotated in and out of this house just playing this game and avoiding thinking about anything else in our lives. Um, God, it was awesome. (laughs) And that's the the weird, this is the, this is the, this is the weird thing. Do you ever get nostalgic for fucked up periods in your life? Oh yes. All the damn time. Yeah. Especially with like horrible exes that I know are terrible like terrible people and i'm just like man we had some good times (laughs) yeah it's it's really bad well and i guess like part of it is also like (laughs) that you went on these emotional roller coasters that you can no longer take because you're like slightly more adjusted or you've been to therapy and you have tools to like deal with it a little bit better (laughs) and so like it's kind of like the park is closed now, kids. Like, it's, you can't go back to that. Because, like, if any of these behaviors materialized, like, you know, now in your early 30s, you'd be like, well, hold the phone here. This is this is nuts. Like, I got, like, we got to put the, put, throw the brakes on this. Uh, like, all right, like, everyone, like, put your cigarettes out. Like, we're getting, let's clean this place up. Let's grab our computers, go home, get eight hours of sleep and some fresh air and exercise and then talk about it in the morning. That's right. And that is a good way to be a better and more effective and healthier person, but it is a bad way to generate these really impressionistic nightmare scenes from your life uh, that are never to be repeated. Um, So yeah, so that's that's kind of World of Warcraft for me. And like when that moment passed, uh, so did my fascination with World of Warcraft. Uh, because then I discovered, like, the game was okay. Like, I liked it. But at the same time, I was starting to get pissed off on the PvP server, and Stranglethorn Vale was a shitty zone uh, with a terrible <laughs> with a terrible layout uh, that funneled everyone into just unending PvP disaster war. Uh, so I just got completely fed up. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm never going to forget, like, the three or four weeks where... Um, it was just that. It was it was just the the most like detached I've ever been from like family, 
uh, you know, relationships. It was just this weird, like, all right, guildies, here we are. <laughs> uh, and put it, put, write your cigarette order down on the last cigarette receipt. Oh, uh, and and uh, then then we'll go. Uh, so that's that's probably my my clear that like that is that is the game that where I have the clearest relationship uh, uh, nostalgia for something like that. Uh, the other one I guess is Final Fantasy IX, uh, which I talked about a little bit going through uh, leg rehab uh, around nine yeah. eleven. So yeah, those are those are things where there's some powerful associations. Yeah. Do you ever think we do what we do, like we went in the jobs that we went into because of just how powerfully healing or powerfully emotional games were for us i i really do wonder about that sometimes i'm kind of like is my life what it is because of because i sought solace in games for oh, so much shit. of my growing years like i'm not sad about that like this is a cool job like i like this job it's awesome but like is that why we do this do you think that's a big question. Sorry, that's, that's maybe good. somebody no, else no, can that's, ask. That's, that's what we do on a weekend. Um, yeah, we I ask the that's, big that's questions. Be, that's gotta be part of it because your whole life was like, why are you so invested in these these things that are useless instead of the things that you should be invested in? What is wrong with you? Right. And I think part of it is like, eventually we started trying to grow up for our own answers. Right? It's like no, like this, I, like I know it feels right. So now I need to like like here like why is this compelling? Why like why why am I so fascinated with this stuff? That was part of it. Um, I definitely think, you know, it's not a game, but like game, um, not gamers with jobs. Um, GFW radio sure. was like yeah. the sound of the last job I worked before going into freelance. Like yeah. I was miserable at a shitty, uh, like content mill slash data entry type job, uh, yeah. where it was just like, you know, low responsibility and then maximum bullshit. <laughs> and the thing, like my therapy was listening to tons of game podcasts and I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to go to there. Uh, I wanted to go to where, you know, the, the, the uh, panels of these podcasts were having these conversations and allowed to sort of think and debate and discuss these things that I loved uh, at length were paid to do so. Uh, yeah. But also seemed to work in places where people genuinely liked and loved and respected each other. And that felt like it was a million miles away from any of my day-to-day -day experience. And, uh, you know, couple that with the fact that, you know, video games have played this powerful role in my life. And, yeah, when I was between jobs, it was it was real easy when, like, the, the realization dawned that, like, freelance could be viable. It was real easy to sort of walk off that ledge you know what i mean yeah. it's sort of like yeah. break from the path and just just keep running yeah <laughs> my mom always kind of jokes about it because she always I, i'm very happy and lucky to have had parents who were very supportive who were always kind of like make a living if you make a living you're fine you know kind of like do whatever you gotta do. i mean it wasn't i don't think they would have been uh super happy with some <laughs> choices i could have made but like you know as long as it was whatever and and it was you know i'm making a living i'm doing my part i'm paying off my loans i'm i'm paying my rent okay you know it was one of those uh and like you know i started in the nonprofit world uh and loved it quite a bit but you know maybe had some had some times where management wasn't always uh, the best in, in places i worked and and had this opportunity to do this and it was easy to jump off that ledge too i was like 
hell yeah, man. If I, this sounds like a cool job that it's fun. I'm going to get to do something that I enjoy. That sounds great to me. And, uh, you know, kind of always, I've been teaching throughout the whole time. I've been, you know, volunteering throughout the whole time. So I have my, I always have my hands in other things for sure. Like I, I worry, of course, we, I think everybody in media worries, of course, about their job stability, but, um, yeah, I, I, games were always in my life, even when they kind of dropped out of everybody else's life around me. I was definitely like the only gamer in my sort of group player, however you want to put it in sort of my, like my social group for so long in my life that I just kind of got used to playing alone and kind of was just like, yeah, I love games. They're just part of my life. I love them. They make me feel better. They make me happy. They give me an outlet in a lot of ways. So yeah, it's, I guess, <laughs> I guess this is how we jumped into this stuff. It's kind of, kind of amazing in a way. And, and again, I, I feel so lucky. I feel so, so lucky to be able to say like, I write for a living. Like that's to me still, and I, I know I've said it before, but it's still like, it's awesome. Like I, I feel very lucky that I'm able to say that. Like that's how I make my living. I write about stuff. You know, it's cool. It's 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 a cool thing to do. Whew. Anyway, on that note, I got we got serious there. Thank you. Also, thank you, Julia from Boston. Um, thank you for sharing and thank you for giving us such good questions. And congrats on being from Boston. Yes, congrats, <laughs> congrats on being from the town we we both lived in very recently. In fact, well, somewhat recently, I wasn't there. You, God, you, I don't even remember. You've been gone for a little 2012, while. 2012, I think, is when I left Boston. <clears throat> yeah, so almost five years, actually. But, you know, go back there time to time, every now and then. Uh, but anyway, I think it's time for us to move right into our weekend projects. Rob, is there anything just setting your world on fire right now? Um, well, I mean, the Cubs won, so that yeah, was incredible. That's um, pretty <clears throat> awesome. That is yeah, pretty that was, damn cool. That was probably, like... Maybe one of the best nights of my life. Oh, um, and yes. I'm not like, and I'm not like, I'm not like saying like I'm this long-suffering Cubs fan because that's just not true. But one of my best friends here uh, that I went to high school with uh, lives here in LA now, and he absolutely is like a long-suffering Cubs fan. Uh, so like, sort of like living his nightmare uh, vicariously. Um, oh man! Because that la- that last game was this this pitched battle uh, where the Cubs seemed bound and determined uh, to lose the World Series, uh, and and seeing seeing him suffer uh, and and sort of going through that with him was was uh, and then sort of being delivered from that hell uh, was was absolutely fantastic. So so that was that was fantastic. That was that was wonderful. Um, in terms of like real weekend projects. Um, why don't, you, why don't you go with something a little more substantial? Okay. Yeah, totally. Um, so it was something that I, I just brought up really in passing last time because I was too tired to, to really uh, talk about it much. But I wanted to give my endorsement, my full-hearted, full-throated endorsement uh, to Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, a board game that I recently, I got, if you watched our 72-hour uh, stream, I got to play that sitting next to Sam Barlow, who was doing the voices. Like, it was... God, that was such a perfect way to play that game, like, you know, with somebody who got so into it and was, and is like this awesome mystery writer as well. Um, so Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, in case you didn't know, is a board game. It's a really in-depth board game uh, where you play as one of a, I don't remember the proper name, there's there's like a cool little nickname, uh, but you're sort of one of Sherlock Holmes's little helpers, uh, one of these little people who's kind of hanging out in his office and, and uh, trying to help solve crime. So, Oh, Wigan. Uh, You're Wigan. Wigan? No, yeah. I think Wigan <clears throat> is like, I, 
Wigan is a helper, but you're part of a like little gang of misfits and moppets who oh the the irregulars are around. Yes, that yes the irregulars. That's who you are. That's who you're framed as. And you know there's a there's a case, and you have to you learn about the case, and then you have certain sort of evidence at your hands, and you can say oh you know I would like to examine this. I would like to go talk to them. I would like to do this. You're you're basically role playing as a detective. Sherlock, you can always kind of go to Sherlock. Uh, go to Holmes for advice. He's always kind of a dick to you, but he'll he'll kind of lead you in a good direction that will help you sort of solve the crime. And you have a limited number of moves uh, to basically go to a place or go to another place, read that information or try to look over some information and attempt to sort of suss out what happened there and, and solve the case, solve the mystery. Uh, and it is, it is so goddamn wonderful. It's so well written. You know, you're basically going around interviewing people sort of about, this murder about the person that was murdered about the evidence about all these sort of other other things and you're trying to pick up on those little details that Sherlock Holmes always is able to kind of suss out and that's how he can figure out uh you know these crimes in such quick fashion uh because he's always able to sort of process massive amounts of information and then kind of make sense out of it uh you're given things like newspapers from you know up to two years before the crime and you and you can kind of look for clues about what might be going on in the world that might have to do with this crime you can find, uh, you know, little bits of flavor text here and there. And, uh, of course, just like a, a real crime or even a real Sherlock Holmes story, sometimes the people that you talk to are useless. You know, you'll be like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna go to this, uh, you know, this druggist and see if they were there that day. And, and you only get, like, a sentence that's like, oh, the, the druggist says they weren't there. And, <laughs> you know, and that's it. And that's great because it's actually, you know, oh, you didn't, you didn't have the right hunch there. You didn't kind of go the right path. Uh, so it's a really, really in-depth game that uh, is the kind of in-depth that I enjoy <laughs> because it has more to do with sort of role-playing and sussing out details than it has to do with, you know, sort of memorizing a lot of different uh, mechanics or a lot of different rules or anything like that. You can just jump right in, and as long as you have the right kind of mindset, you can you can do all right. You might not beat Sherlock, but you can at least kind of uh, have a good time with it. Uh, and again, I was playing it on, with very little sleep. <laughs> we all were, but... I think we all had a really good time. And uh, Sam Barlow, again, writer of her story and uh, uh, Silent Hill Shattered Memories, was there with us. And you know, he's a he's a, a British dude, and he was doing all the voices. Like if it was a you know a, a grieving widow, he would affect his sort of grieving widow voice. Or if it was the you know the haughty guy at the club, he would affect the haughty guy at the club voice. And it was it was really kind of special to play it like that. But the game itself, I. I I can imagine having a wonderful time with that game with any group of people who was, you know, sufficiently into it. Um, another thing that's great about that game is that any number of players can play it. You could play it solo if you wanted to, but no, any number of players and you, you can all discuss things. You can, you can kind of be like, okay, all right, gang, where do we go next? And kind of really get into it and really kind of get into the spirit of it. And I, I think that's wonderful. It's like a very truly collaborative game. Uh, and I, God, I love that. <laughs> I, I really, really like a good collaborative game. Solo consulting detective sounds like the saddest. Yeah. It like, yeah. like, man, like that's like, <laughs> that's like setting yourself at a dinner party, like for just you. Oh God. And then like yeah. play acting, like greeting your guests and, and stuff like that. Like, oh, it's so good to see you again. Like, like in rear window, that oh, the, Miss Lonely Heart who has like the yeah. fake date with nobody. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like just then like they're laughing across the way and then she breaks down in tears. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lonely Hearts Consulting Detective Club. That's uh yeah, that oh it's really fun with a group that gets into it. Really fun. <laughs> 
Um, so I guess, uh, so I played a little Overwatch this weekend, but... Oh, good. Danielle, okay. I, 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 I've, I'm finally moved to ask something, and yeah. I hope this yep. doesn't offend you, because uh, <laughs> I'm totally doing the, hello, queer friend, explain <laughs> to me, explain to me the culture of your people. Sure, it's okay, you can ask me. We're good enough friends. Don't do that with somebody who's like just somebody on the street, but we're friends. You can ask me questions. <laughs> I need help understanding something. <laughs> yes. About Overwatch. Sure. Like if if our anime life coach were here, I'd I'd, I'd She's ask in the her. next room, actually. Um, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> actually, we should maybe get her on the Okay. So here's the thing. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a lot of enthusiasm around the new character Sombra. Mm-hmm. But there also seems to be a lot more enthusiasm around her romantic possibilities <laughs> and possible subtext yep. that existed between her and other characters in the animated short mm-hmm. introducing her character. And it was like, I always knew this was part of like Overwatch fandom and all that. Like, fine, cool. But it seems really persistent and heated <laughs> and like intense and enthusiastic. And I guess like what's going on in Overwatch that I am missing? Like is Overwatch just like a masterpiece of like subtle coding that like there's tons of places for people just like to take their preferences for for ships as it were and just run with them? Uh, in whatever kinds of pairings or yeah. or uh, or or more than pairings, really, um, but you know, in in whatever sort of polyamorous combinations uh, they want, <laughs> I am just increasingly <laughs> bemused uh, by the fact that, like, oh, sweet Sombra's here, new character. Yeah, I wonder who she wants to get down with. Yep. So here's my theory. I I have been watching a lot of this from I. I'm not like an Overwatch like super fan. Like I very much enjoyed the game, and the only reason I haven't played more of it is because somehow I there's some screw up on my PlayStation account with my girlfriend's account. I can only play it on her account. She gets very mad if I were to do such a thing. So I'm not as good uh, at the game as she is. So anyway, long story short, I haven't been playing as much, but I definitely sure do pay a lot of attention to the sort of Overwatch fandom, and I think Overwatch was the perfect storm of a game that is, yeah, it's it's like a really sort of fun and, and colorful and sort of, you know, accessible, at least on the on its surface, uh, shooter that happened to have the right color scheme and sort of characteristics that the neo-endearment crew, let's call them that, that's what I've always sort of called the folks on, on like Twitter who like really like cute things and they really like sexy things and they really like when those things kind of mush up together. Uh, this game had that perfect aesthetic for that, but also it was like this fun competitive shooter. So it, it gets to last a little bit longer than something like, well, I suppose Undertale lasted quite a while, but it, you know, it kind of burned itself out after a point because it's it's not a super long game. It's yeah, not like it's an fine. infinitely replayable game. Right, exactly. And that's not a fault of the game. It's just the style of game. This is a sort of infinitely replayable game, right? With that aesthetic. So I think... That perfect storm of of people on the internet who like they're horny and they like colorful things really latched into this game. Like a hundred percent, like fangs are in there all the way. 
And, you know, we kind of live in this era now, at least at least in sort of a lot of the circles that I run in, where it's like totes cool to wear your like fan fiction-y, fan art, colorful, horny, like feelings on your sleeve, right? Like it, it is like in right now to be like, and here's my, you know, boys love beautiful painting of, of these men getting down with one another. And, and one is Genji and one is McCree and one is whomever else. And I know I just pissed everybody off who doesn't ship that way. I mean, even I know Genji and McCree. Like, no, no. Yeah, we're, no, I know. go together. I'm just saying, somebody out there likes a Genji Cree, I'm sure. I'm Somebody. Like, no, 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 Hanzo and McCree. Like, no, that's that's got to be a thing. Maybe, right? maybe that's more of yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I personally... <laughs> being uh the ultimate queer that i am i'm more interested in the in the sort of uh for mercy which there's farah and mercy mm -hmm. pairings because there have been some legitimately beautiful pieces of art of, of those two getting it on getting together uh from like really talented illustrators and and painters like making this like gorgeous beautiful art of, of just two beautiful women being all up on each other and i'm like wow that's that's really gorgeous that's really kind of cool. I'm I'm into that. So, yeah, that, that's my that's my professional opinion is that it was kind of a perfect storm of things that didn't always go together, but they went together really well in, the, in sort of this era of the internet and like this era of the the neo endearment crew and the and the the horny colorful things crew. Uh, so yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm actually sort of more interested in Overwatch as a fan experience than I am in it as like a game at this point no, like, that's, I, that's I am kind of what I was fascinated about, like, yeah like I, like I found it really riveting to see the conversation around Sombra and her like kit and abilities and all that like and yeah, her that's haircut a, thing. That's an a ongoing... lot about the haircut yeah well yeah but there's the, there's the mechanical <laughs> stuff and people are like okay well this character does this and that could be interesting maybe we'll see how it, we'll see how it unfolds but then like yeah holy shit like almost instantly <laughs> people are like I'm getting that fucking haircut yep I'm, I'm doing yep. it yep I'm absolutely doing it it's kind of amazing. It it is like, it, it's like a weird thing where it's like weird internet is good for once, kind of in certain ways. Like a lot of times, weird internet is like creepy and and scary and like not the friendliest place. But this is like a friendly, happy version of weird internet, and it's like, well, oh, this can be good. This too. is, but this is the other. There's, there seems to be like an irony in the Overwatch. Like this is the other thing, though, right? Yeah. Is like you you talk about like you know. Uh, the the people are 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 horny for like for for these characters and all that, and it's like, but we don't meet like I don't think like I don't think you you use that word in the same sense that like someone is actually like right yeah it's, I think it, for the most weird, part detached, ironic <laughs> yeah. aspect yeah. of Overwatch like fandom and shipping that I also find like really like performative can be an overused word, but. There is something like it's almost like people are in love with the idea of the idea of shipping Overwatch characters <laughs> than like the activities. Sure. There's a weird there's a weird aspect to it that I find really compelling. Yeah, it's it's really, really fascinating. Yeah, I think for the most part, these uh I'm sure, I'm positive somebody out there actually wants to to have sex with May. But more more often it's probably more like, wouldn't it be cool? And more of a wouldn't it be cool? Oh, this is fun. Because it's like a really the Overwatch fandom that I know personally is like a pretty friendly place a pretty inclusive place and and it's kind of fun to be kind of in this a little bit and kind of be like yeah this is fun uh-huh wouldn't it be hot of x y or z 
more so than like, let me get in those pants. It, it's right. definitely, yeah, it's definitely like a, a softer, friendlier horniness, <laughs> which sounds really weird to say, right? But like I said, uh, weird internet can be good sometimes, and Overwatch weird internet can be kind of a kind of a beautiful thing. I think kind of a, a nice, friendly thing. I'm sure there are shitheads who like Overwatch. I'm not saying there aren't, yeah. but most of the people that I know of and, and who are making fan art and that sort of thing are 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 pretty nice and like the tone of it is is actually pretty nice and friendly so i think that might be part of it i, I think it's like a nice little club to be in uh, for a lot of folks so yeah hey <laughs> who yeah. knew that's not, that's not a weekend project by the way that's just like i guess my weekend project is like i'm going to investigate this weird yes. subculture like i'm yes. like uh, the dean in season on the community <laughs> there's this throwaway shot of him watching a really muscular male dancer mm-hmm. in a Dalmatian costume. Good. Yep. Uh, on a YouTube, and he, uh, like on a YouTube video. And uh, the Dean is like, hmm, I hope this doesn't awaken anything. <laughs> and then the running gag for the rest of the series is that he has this weird sexual fascination. He has this weird Dalmatian fetish. Yeah, uh, that sort of runs through like the rest of the series, and nice. like I guess that's that's my weekend project with with Overwatch uh, shipping and Overwatch like queer Overwatch fandom is like like I'm I'm looking at it, I'm like hmm, I hope this doesn't awaken anything. I mean, Rob, <laughs> you might very well be drawing McCree fan fiction, like drawing McCree in compromising poses with his six shooter, like by the end of the year. This this could be what's happening. And you know what? If you go that direction, I'm going to support you all the way, my friend. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be right there for you. All right. Well, if you if you're a true friend, I would actually hope you you don't support that and and might and might rein it in uh, just just a little bit uh, and, and make sure the meaning of high noon stays pure. Uh, but oh. but I appreciate the support no matter what. <laughs> oh, so good. Well, no matter no matter where we go, it's it's the friends we made along the way, right? All right. Uh, so I think with that, on that beautiful note, uh, it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by yours truly and hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. And always, folks, thank you so, so much for your wonderful letters and for your support. If you are enjoying the show and you like having us in your earbuds every now and then, uh, please do take a moment, go and rate us on iTunes, or tell a friend, tell a pet, tell a bunny, tell your Overwatch fanfiction writer friends, tell whoever you think might enjoy the show, because word of mouth and iTunes reviews are just the best way to support us, and we thank you so, so much uh, for your listenership, readership, listenership, just thank you for being a friend. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo. Wishing you the finest of idle weekends.